Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about those big emotions that if you're raising a child with anxiety or OCD, or even if you're just raising a human being, our kids have big emotions. We have big emotions. We have big emotions about their big emotions, right? It's hard not to. And I want to talk about how to navigate that in the best way so that you feel good as a parent and your child actually feels good and can take something from that because there are I know you're not going to believe me, but there are little gems hidden in those difficult moments. And we want to mine those gems and take advantage of that opportunity to make it a win instead of just a loss all around. So I'm going to talk about how to do that and some concrete skills to to make that happen. But before we get started, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. as well. So check them out if you are outside of the U.S. too. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. All right, let's talk about these emotions. (laughs) So this topic actually came to be because had a difficult morning with my child. And I was thinking about what to talk about today. And I thought this would be a good example of how to handle big emotions. I love to take things that are happening in my real life and then make podcasts out of them, (laughs) partly because it's really easy to do because it's fresh, but also it's like, I just experienced something and this is a teaching moment. And it was a teaching moment, not only for my child and for myself, But then I was like, this could be a teaching moment for us to talk about together as well. So we'll dive into that. The first thing that I want to preface this entire discussion around is that big emotions are okay. And I think a lot of times, for whatever reason, we will think that if our child is angry or if they are self hating or if they are fearful or anxious, or disappointed, that we have to fix that, that that emotion in and of itself is not okay. And a lot of us do that to ourselves too. I know I do. If I feel self-hating, or if I feel anxious, or if I feel hopeless, or if I feel sad, or if I feel overwhelmed, just having that emotion, there's judgment on that. Like, why do you feel overwhelmed? You shouldn't feel overwhelmed. You have all your skills. You're a therapist, right? Or why are you sad? We've already worked through that. You're not allowed to be sad about that anymore. Or why are you still insecure? Why is this anxiety showing up? You've worked really hard on that. This isn't supposed to be. This is a sign of failure. And so there's always a parallel experience going on. There's always a parallel journey happening with ourselves and with our kids. And we want to recognize that it's not top and then bottom, you know, like I am parenting from this, this mountaintop of perfection. And I'm doing these things to my kids, for my kids, with my kids, but I am completely removed 
from the equation. That's just not the way it is. It's a messy mix of our stuff and their stuff. And when we don't look at our stuff, then we lose a lot of the traction that we can gain in order to help our kids because help and insight starts with awareness with ourselves and then it moves outward. A lot of times I feel like I've seen this a lot in my therapy practice and I can see it in my AD parenting community as well with some members that they start with just their child in front of them. What do I do with my child? What do I do when they're doing this? What do I do when they're doing this? And and when I was doing therapy, there were some parents that wanted me to fix their kids, you know, and I could tell the difference because they would want to drop them off and I wouldn't be able to like communicate with them and that would be an issue. And so we have to recognize our own involvement in these processes. And the first one is that emotions are okay. And you need to accept that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't normally come out with such demanding things like you need to, but in this case you do. And I do. And that is like, that's a work in progress. That's like a continual work in progress and recognizing that you can have these feelings like feeling, and this is what I'm going to tell you is what I've tell, I've, I'm telling my kids. And this is what you can tell your kids. It's a dual process, but you can't, this is what I actually said to my son this morning. I'm going to weave in kind of my experience this morning with this conversation. Cause I do like to talk about concrete things so that you can kind of, we get out of the clouds and we talk about real things, but that's what I said to him today. And we'll go over what was going on with that. But I said, you're allowed to have feelings. You can't control if you feel self-hate or self-disappointment or guilt or anger, like those feelings will show up. They will knock on your door, just like anxiety or OCD does, right? It just shows up and our reactions as parents can just show up. And then it's what we do with those, those emotions that matters. And a lot of times it's not about getting rid of the emotion. It's harvesting what the emotion is going to teach us, which I know that sounds really weird, but I'll explain. So when I look at big emotions, whether they're mine or whether they're my kids, those big emotions spotlight a story that we're telling ourselves or a story that our child is telling themselves. And it's kind of like those weeds are are not seen. <laughs> this is a really horrible analogy because I'm terrified of scorpions and we've had quite a few in my house and they just really upset me. But it's kind of like, I, this is the analogy that popped in. It's like, you don't know, let's just pretend you live in Arizona. <laughs> you don't know what's in your backyard, right? But then you get that like, you know, Blu-ray light and you shine it in the back. That's what people do in Arizona. And all of a sudden, you know, they are this like neon color. They were in, and so you can see them with a black light and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like all these scorpions, gross, right? But that's kind of like emotions. <laughs> what a weird analogy. I'm sorry. You just have to go with my brain. But it's like, you don't know what's dormant or what's laying underneath until it bubbles up to the surface. And this is what I've been working on with myself. And that's why I'm kind of focusing on us first, because if you don't get this on like a deep level, how are you going to help your child get this on a kid level? So I got to talk to you before I talk to you about your kids. And what I've been working on for the past like year and a half, since I've been going through all this change in my life is noticing more. And so I notice, like I notice when I get jealous, when I see someone doing something that I'm doing and I see what it bubbles up, or I notice when I get jealous, when, you know, it looks like people are hanging out and I'm not part of it. (laughs) And in the past and currently, I would actually say there would be judgment on that. Like, 
Oh, that's interesting that that's popping up again because I thought you got over that or I thought you've improved. And so it's an interesting story, a layer of stories that I'm telling myself when that emotion pops up, like interesting that I'm feeling that way. When our kids have anger, what story is popping up for them? I should be able to do this the first time or this anxiety or CD is never going to go away or you don't understand me or you're giving me stress or I can't tolerate this discomfort, or I can't tolerate you, or when it is fear, right? I can't cope with this. I won't be able to do that. I am paralyzed with this. It's a spotlight of a story that our kids are telling themselves, and it can help us gain insight into, I'm noticing that they're getting angry often about this particular thing. And what is that about? A lot of our kids are, are not self-regulating. They don't know how to self-regulate, but behind the, even the inability to self-regulate, when we're dealing with kids with anxiety or CD, there are kids who have like just mood dysregulation issues. They have mood disorders and they you know have mood swings. And that's separate. I'm not talking necessarily about those kids at this moment. I'm talking about our kids and some of them have comorbid conditions, but I'm talking about kids in general and kids with anxiety or CD. A lot of times those big emotions are popping up because of a story they're telling themselves, not just a physiological dysregulation, but I'm angry because I thought I could handle this or I'm angry because I'm embarrassed. And so we want to spotlight the stories that that they're telling themselves. And I'm going to walk you through in a concrete way how to do this. And I also want to have a huge caveat in this entire conversation to say you will not do this 90% of the time, (laughs) maybe 95%. I do not do this 95% of the time. I'm aiming and striving for maybe, you know, I can do this 10% of the time and maybe 15. I know it'll never get higher than 50% of the time because I know I'm human and that's okay. And so recognize as I'm telling you these things that, that you will be able to do this in a very small, small window. (laughs) Most of the time you won't be able to do this and that is okay because when you do do it, it's a beautiful thing and you are mining those gems out of that darkness and you're getting some fruit for that labor and that's the win. So this is not something that I think any parent can do all of the time, but if you can do this, a sprinkling in your, in your interactions with your children and yourself, that's such a gift for everybody. So one of the other things that I've been talking about with my kids as they get older, which is, it's been really nice as they get older to have a little bit bigger conversations about life and philosophy. And I just like being able to have a deeper conversation. And I've always talked to my kids like they're wise little souls, even when they were little, not inappropriately so, but that they could get big ideas. And now that they are 13, one just turned 13 and my daughter is turning 11 in a few weeks. And my oldest is 19 now. They all change ages like in October <laughs> and and the and one is November, like very beginning of November. So it's very helpful for my geriatric brain, <laughs> you know, for for me to know that all my kids change age at this one time. But I was talking to my son. I've been talking to my son especially about this because he struggles the most with big emotions. And for those of us that have kids, you know that you know, have pandas or pans or those kids have bigger emotions. And sometimes that's just very purely physiological, or sometimes it's just kind of a part of how things show up for them. I'm not sure why he has bigger emotions 
than the rest of us, but you know, they're much better than what they were. But I've talked to him in general about life lessons. We've talked about this a lot at my house and him and I have talked about how we all have like themes. This is something that we believe. You don't have to believe this, but it's a good conversation that we had that was like, you know, there are reoccurring themes in our lives and there are maybe a handful of life lessons that we are trying to accomplish in this lifetime. And, you know, I've told him that I feel like one of my life lessons that I'm working on that shows up in many different ways through my childhood and now my adulthood is self-love and self-compassion. And that's partly of my social anxiety journey of like, you know, and a lot of the things that have happened in my life that set me up for having to learn this lesson over and over again. How do I show self-love? Caring about what people think more than what I think is not showing self-love. And so we talked about this, you know, it's ironic because, well, I guess it's not ironic. It's highly genetic, but all three of my kids have some level of social anxiety and it kind of manifests in different ways. And this is not when he was angry, but I'm just saying like having these deeper conversations with your kids when they're not having big emotions really helps set the foundation and the stage for when they are having big emotions. Cause you can't just jump in there when they're having big emotions and do all the things I'm going to be talking about in a minute. We have to set the stage. And so having a conversation about big feelings and that big feelings are okay and that they show us, you know, the areas that we need to be more self-compassionate about. And you can talk to even a five-year-old like this, just use kid language, you know, that all feelings are okay. Our feelings tell us something about us. But with my son having deeper conversations, because he's 13, he had said, you know, I think that one of my life lessons is self-love. He came actually was talking about this the other day when he was getting frustrated because he was trying to build drums and I cannot help him because putting things together is not my forte. And, you know, his dad passed away. And so we don't have, you know, my husband to come and do the things that we would normally depend on him to do. And so I was very nervous about buying him this drum set, but he got frustrated. Actually, I can use that as another concrete example to talk about big emotions. But after he was successful with that, He said, I think one of my life lessons, mom, is to learn about self-love and self-compassion, which was like so big and huge. Now that didn't come out of the blue. We've been talking about things like that, but I've never told him what his life lessons are. It's not for me to say, but that has helped because he also has moral OCD that's actually like, you know, impacting his self-esteem. And I do feel like moral OCD and self-esteem kind of go together. Sometimes they take a big hit, which can be really difficult because you know, some of it's moral OCD and some of it's just really like, you feel like a horrible person because OCD is making you feel like a horrible person and doing, you know, we won't go into that. That would be a really good separate episode on how to handle self-esteem with moral OCD because it's very tricky, but maybe next week I'll talk about that. But that, that understanding that him building his self-love and self-regulation go hand in hand. So anyway, you can weave that in, in whatever like spiritual, religious, or philosophical stance you want to take, whatever resonates with your family, talking about life lessons in whatever capacity resonates with you can be really helpful because then there's like this goal. There's like this bigger goal of like, I need to work on self-compassion. What does that mean? Self-compassion, right? You know, it means like forgiving yourself when you make mistakes or recognizing that that this situation is giving you an opportunity and it's giving you an opportunity to work on something. And let's talk about what that is. And so 
After the break, I'm going to talk about kind of like some stages of what we should do when our kids are having big emotions. And I'm going to walk you through them with an example of what happened this morning, just to kind of go through it. I very rarely approach it in this beautifully Zen way, (laughs) not to throw myself under the bus, but I always do. But I also want to be realistic. There's nothing worse than like listening to someone talk about parenting and making you feel like you're horrible because you're like, oh my gosh, I never show up like that. I don't either. And that's why when I do, I'm like, oh, this would be a great podcast episode. <laughs> but I'm going to let you know that this does not happen in my house often because I'm human too. So after the break, we'll talk about the three steps that I recommend taking in a perfect world when your child is showing big emotions. And then I'm actually going to go through a couple of examples of different emotions because we might approach them a little bit differently. We're going to talk about anger, we're gonna talk about self-hate, and we're going to talk about fear because those are three of the most common emotions that show up often in our kids. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. We'll talk about that. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Well, welcome back. Okay, let's get into some concrete examples of how to walk through this. So I'm going to weave in, like I said, what happened this morning so that we can have a concrete example walk with us. And so we're going to first talk about anger. Anger is a difficult one, and it will look different for each one of your kids. 
But so my son was really upset this morning because he has started to really enjoy writing, which is incredible because with his pants, he hasn't been able to like read or write, you know, and that, and his handwriting was an issue and it kind of was a big problem. But recently, I would say like in the past year, I mean, this is a kid who used to cry about writing. Like if they gave him a writing prompt, he would like cry about it. And somewhere something switched and he likes to really write stories. So anyway, he's in advanced writing and they were going to like write this like story, like a fiction story. And I think there's a bit of a contest attached to it, which adds the stress that he can't really handle. And so he's been writing this very long story for a while, for the past two weeks. And he was writing a novel, not a short story. And unfortunately, the teacher didn't give like a limit, like how many pages or whatever. And so last night he realized he didn't have an ending. He hasn't wrapped it up and he to be submitted by midnight. And I left him to it because I really am big on fostering independence. And so he was upset. And I said, look, you can stay up longer. You can stay up until 10 and then go to bed. So long story short, he did not submit it. He stayed up later. He couldn't get it together. He was tired. And he woke up this morning, very upset. I didn't submit it. I can't submit it now. I don't have an ending. I can't wrap it up. I mean, this is a kid who like slaved over this assignment. We talk a little bit about work smarter, not harder, you know, like you can't write a novel for a quick assignment that is like supposed to be a turnaround of two weeks. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is I had a puddle of a kid on the couch this morning, didn't want to get up, blanket over his head, very, very upset and saying he's not going to school. He can't do anything. He's horrible person. So that's the stage. A lot of us have that, right? Our kids are just like a total puddle. So, and then just so that you know what what was going on with me, I woke up and I had like put a form on my website and I was running an ad and I realized that the form was wrong and it was messed up. And so I had this like epiphany, like the minute I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the wrong form. And so I'm getting out my iPad and I'm trying to like tweak Facebook and work on something. And so I'm under like some pseudo pressure myself, just so that you know, right? <laughs> so how many of us have been in that situation where you have your child's melting down and you have your own thing going on, whether it is you're going to be late for work or you need to get the other kids to bed, or you're in the middle of watching a show that you're enjoying and you're relaxing, or you're in the middle of making dinner, like you've got something going on and your child is now exploding or imploding and it's inconvenient, right? I mean, like, let's just be totally honest. It's inconvenient. And so it bubbles up emotions for you. So as I'm sitting on the couch, quickly trying to like, because I'm spending money on this form and I'm like, it's the wrong form. So I'm feeling stressed. And when I see him on the couch, the first emotion that bubbles up for me is anger. I'm annoyed. I'm like, you should have done it in my head. I'm like, you should have done it last night. And like, what's the big deal? And you're playing VR like for the whole weekend. Like you obviously didn't manage your time right. And So the first step, (laughs) I'll break it down. The first step is to tune into yourself. Most of the time we don't do this. We don't, we don't go inward. We go outward, right? I could feel myself instantly wanting to meet his despondence with, with irritation to say, and I actually did start that way. He was like a lump on the couch and I was like, you need to go brush your teeth. You need to do that. You have to go to school. You can't avoid this, right? I just totally showed up in a robotic, like automatic response. And that's what we do. I mean, that's what most of us do a lot of the time. 
But in a perfect world, and I know I always say in a perfect world, and I and I say that because I recognize that the world's not perfect and that we're not perfect. And that's why I always like to say that because like I said, if you could do this five to 10% of the time, you are knocking it out of the park, <laughs> you know, give yourself a high five. But for some reason, I was able to pull myself out of my own struggle. And I kind of feel like, and you may not get this analogy because this may not make sense to you, but have you ever put on a VR headset? Probably not, but maybe some of you, yes. Well, there is like a setting where you can actually see through it. Kind of like they're going to make Google Glasses one day, you know, where you can like see through and you're getting this data on your lenses, which is cool, but distracting. And so I kind of feel like that's how we go through parenting a lot of times. That's how we get through life. We have all of our stuff on our lens. So even if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can get this, right? You have all this stuff, all this distraction. And then you have the person that you can see past all that distraction. And it muddies the waters. It's hard to get a really clear picture of what's in front of you because you have all this stuff blocking your your view, your awareness. In order to really help our kids with big emotions, we have to take off the VR headset, (laughs) metaphorically, or the lens so that we are not distracted by all the other things, all our other thoughts, all of our other annoyances. And we can't always do that. And so what I'm going to like walk you through is not always doable. You know, you may not be able to do that. If you're rushing and you need to get out of the house and your child is having big emotions and you're feeling stressed to get to work, you may not be able to do what I'm talking about. But if you can do it some of the time when you can, it's a beautiful thing. And so the first thing that I did after I said a couple of mom things, like you have to go to school or you need to get up and brush your teeth, like stop hiding under the blanket. And then I was like, there was a pause for some reason. And I love when that happens. It's like a gift. It's like, there's just been this pause. And all of a sudden I'm outside of the movie. Like I was in the movie. I was a character and I wasn't playing a great role. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm observing the whole situation. And I've actually been trying to work on doing that in life in general. And so that is something that you can build a muscle for is how do you pull yourself out of life? I'm reading a book that actually talks about it and she talks about it like being a gap. Like how do you create gaps? And gaps are like when all of a sudden you're not in the movie, but you're just watching the movie unfold and you're not part of the movie. You're even watching yourself. There's so much awareness and aha moments when you do that. I was sitting there watching my iPad or something a couple of days ago and I I was reading this book. And so that also does help. It brings my awareness. And all of a sudden I stopped doing what I was doing. And I like, I looked at my dog who was like sitting on my lap and I could hear the squeak of like, we have a little, like an indoor swing that hangs from a pole. And I could hear the squeaking of my daughters and I could see my son and sitting on the couch doing his thing. And like, we're all in our own little worlds doing these little things. And like, this is life. It was like a snapshot of life. And there was nothing I was going to do about it. Or, you know, it was just interesting. It was like, just this like, brief gap where I wasn't part of this scene. I was just watching this scene. That is really powerful when that happens, when our kids are having big emotions. And so all of a sudden I had this gap where I was able to see him, not with all my lenses on, but I was able to see him with his pain and what he's going through and not taking on the pain. That's different. You know, some of us are big empaths and we, we absorb the pain. So it's not like that we are 
understanding their pain, but we are actually feeling their pain. That's not helpful either. That could be like paralysis. Um, And then we really want to fix that problem because we don't like the feeling it's causing. But instead I was like, the gap made me focus on me. And I was like, the stupid form that you're worrying about, it's really not that important. And you really don't have a time frame on it. You're creating your own time frame. You can do this after you drop your kids off at school. So close it. And I actually didn't for a while. There's like this internal battle in my head. I was like, no, I really just want to work on this form. <laughs> you know? And I actually continued to work on it for a few more seconds. And my, th- the other outer awareness of me said, close the iPad, close it completely and focus on him. And I did. So the first step, at least for me, it might be different for you. I'm not one to like tell you what to do, but is to focus on where you're at. Where are you at? You know, is your mind somewhere else? Because if your child is having like a four alarm, five alarm fire, you might need to, you know, put all your attention on the problem in front of you if you can. And so I close the iPad. And so it's helpful to shut everything else you're doing down and then tune into your own feelings. I was like, I'm getting irritated, but this isn't about me. And so center yourself and recognize what's happening for your child right now. What is the emotion? What's the spotlight? And then I listen to him. I listen to what he's saying. You know, what's, you know, what's going on? You can even prompt it. What's going on? He was just talking. And so I didn't really have to prompt too much. And he was like, I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. I just wasted all my time. I could have been working on this. And, you know, I, I could have been doing it and I don't know how to manage my time. I can't handle these things. And, you know, it's just going on. I'll never learn. I'll never learn. When will I ever learn? And so I was listening to the content and instead of swooping in and just trying to fix it and being like, you're an amazing person and don't worry, you want me to email the teacher? Let me make this all go away. And I have done that before. So guilty. But I was hearing a story that he was telling himself. It was a spotlight. It was a, it was a black light on the scorpion of insecurity, self-hate, self-shame, dysregulation, right? Dysregulation was a symptom of all those other things, but there was a story going on there. And so then I was able to realize what does he need to hear in this moment? And so this, this pause, you know, it's not this long pause. I mean, it sounds very drawn out, but it's just this awareness of what's my role in this, in this moment. And there are times where I have been able to, and hopefully you can as well, get lovingly detached enough that I can say to myself, what is your role in this right now? And you can practice that. You can practice being in the moment and being aware, you know, having gaps in your day that actually helps. I went for a walk this morning after I dropped him off at school and I was walking in the desert and I was like, this walk is a practice of like paying attention and having gaps, like listening to the birds and listening to the crunch of the, like the gravel under my feet. And then, oh, I noticed that like, you know, my VR headset metaphorically is on my head and I'm like, all my thoughts are like, what am I going to do today? What, you know, what should I talk about my podcast? When do I have to pick up my kids? You know, and I'm like literally blind because I'm not, I'm not hearing the birds anymore. I'm not hearing the, the gravel. I'm not hearing anything. And then I take the VR headset off and I'm like, nope. Okay. Let's, there's a gap again. And now I can like focus on what's in front of me without any noise and distraction. That's a muscle. And that's a muscle that has to be built and practiced over a long period of time. Side note, when I did start to pay attention again to my surroundings, I found this beautiful owl just like sitting in a tree staring at me. 
I never see an owl in the desert, especially not in the morning. So that was pretty magical. I was like, I would never have seen you. You were hiding like deep in the tree. But I was looking around. I was being very aware. And I was hearing like different bird sounds. I'm like, so I was looking at the different birds. And then I noticed this beautiful owl. So we notice more when we shut down all of our noise. I noticed more about what he was saying when I shut down all my noise. I got to get this form done. I got to get this done. I got to get, you know, no, he's more important right now and he needs help. So those are the first steps, right? Center yourself, stop the distractions, and then ask yourself the third thing, what do they need to hear in the moment? And so for him, I felt like he needed some help with the self-compassion. And so what I, what I did is I just said, we don't want to swoop in and try to make them not have those feelings. You know, I tried to help him problem solve a little bit without him having to interact with me at all. He was still under the covers or whatever. And I said, this is like really not being very warm and fuzzy, but I said, you know, we can't, cause he said, I don't want to go to school ever. And I said, I get that can be embarrassing, you know, to go to school. He was like worried about disappointing his teacher and he was worried about not having it handed in. And I said, but that feeling will still be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you know, the more we avoid, the bigger it grows. And I said, but you can, you can say, and I, I went into validating and you'll know your child. I think sometimes when we're talking about big emotions, less is more. And normally with him, less is more, but this was a different feeling than self-hate versus outward anger and frustration. And so I went in and I just kind of almost like role-played a solution for him. And I said, you're, a, you're an amazing writer. You're an amazing writer. And you wanted to write a novel instead of writing a short story. And the assignment was to write a short story. And you were writing a novel. And maybe one day that novel will get published and it'll be amazing. It's a great book, but you can't write a novel in two weeks. And so the, the life lesson, and I use that word a lot with my kids, the life lesson is if the assignment is a short story, you know, I don't need to bite off more than I can chew, right? I want to write a novel, but not this, not for this assignment. This isn't where it matters. And so I was talking at him, but I was talking right to the pain point. Because I listened. And so instead of getting into maybe a control thing of like, get your shoes on, you know, you did this to yourself. You know, you, I noticed that you played VR all weekend. And so this is your deal. Maybe next time you'll remember, maybe I shouldn't play VR all the time, or maybe I should take away VR so that this just fuels with the fire, right? I'm speaking directly to the pain point, which is self-hate. That's what he was saying. It was self-hate there. And even if you're not hearing your child verbalize it, if you know your child well, you know, that's one of their issues then you speak directly to their pain point. And so then I said to him, and so, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to talk to your teacher and you might have to say to your teacher, I really got into this assignment and I wrote 12 pages and I'll show you my 12 pages, but I couldn't wrap it up. And I realized that next time I'm going to need to be able to like write something shorter so that I can wrap it up. And you're going to ask your teacher, can you give me extra time to write the ending? And if not, you're going to have to deal with the consequence. But life is full of consequences and then lessons. You're going to mess up and then you're going to learn. And you're going to mess up and you're going to learn. And it's a beautiful thing because we don't grow without pain. <laughs> That's what I was saying to him as we get in the car. I'm like, sometimes I feel like I am a fortune cookie. You know, I was just like, we don't grow without pain because he's like, this is going to be horrible. It's so embarrassing. And I think a lot of things are at play. He likes to be the smartest kid. He wanted he, want, he wants to be known as a writer and 
he wants, he wanted to win this competition. There's so many things going on that I knew like from the get go, this was going to be a bit of a struggle, but helping our kids see that through pain comes knowledge. And so he said, but I never learn. I never learn. And I said to him, there are grownups who never learn. There are 80 year old women. Well, not just women. There are 80 year old people who are out smoking and drinking and being mean to people. And they've had a whole long life, you know, to learn no judgment on drinking and smoking, but I'm just saying that's what I said. It's what came to my head. You know, there's no awareness of maybe I should treat people differently, or maybe I should, you know, do something differently. I mean, the fact that you are 13 and you're learning, you know, that you care enough to learn, to do these things and to, you know, to strive, it's good. The fact that you're, that you even know the word self-regulation and you're working on it is good. Because what he was saying is, I never learn how to organize my time and I never learned how to calm down. I never learned how to be nice to myself, you know? And so the weird thing is after I did that, after I kind of like role-played a little bit of like what he could say to the teacher without him really saying anything, he got up and he got dressed and he was like in a good mood. It was really weird. I was like, oh my gosh, that, I guess that was just very, whatever he needed to hear, he heard. And I don't know. And he like, he got to school and he was fine. We'll see how it goes after school. But we had a similar thing when he was learning to, he was trying to build his drums. and. I said to him, this is going to be really rough. This is going to be really hard. And you're going to not be able to do it in one day. And you're going to have moments where you are going to get very angry. And that's normal. Building something as big as this without, it had no manual. So I was trying to find YouTube videos on it. I said, this is just a big obstacle, you know, and it was very similar. I was able to kind of find the gap where I was able to say to myself, like my job right now is to show up for him and to teach him tolerance through this and self-compassion through this. And I do that in the way of like me staying calm, me not adding fuel to the fire and then pumping him up in a way that's genuine. You know, you are putting something together that's really rough that I would not be able to put together. And I get really upset and frustrated when I put things together. You remember when I like was trying to build a stool after dad died and like I threw the wrench across the room, I got really frustrated. Like it's a human struggle to try to learn how to control your emotions, to try to be kind to yourself, to try to do any of those things. So, you know, using yourself as an example can be very helpful as well. And not telling our kids what to do. A lot of times we want to tell them what to do when they're having big emotions. And that's most of the time it's not helpful at all. And so let's go through some other emotions. So that was kind of a combination of anger and self-hate. I want to also talk about fear. So the goal with big emotions in general, I just want to back up and talk about this in a little bit more of a a general sort of way really quick, is to validate the feeling, right? I know that's very frustrating. I know that's really upsetting. And then to highlight or, you know, spotlight what's going on for them. Because a lot of times these big emotions are smoke screens trying to squirrel us from what actually is happening. You see that a lot with anxiety or OCD. And so like if, you know, you have a child who doesn't want to go to school and they have all sorts of triggers and anxieties around going to school, then they might get really angry in the morning and they might make it really difficult. And it's very easy to fall into that slippery slope of getting angry back and and your stuff is meeting their stuff. You know, I'm going to be late for work and we all have to do what we have to do. We all have to show up and we all have to, you know, instead of having a little bit of a gap, you know, zoom out and you just observe this like it's a movie and you're not part of it. What does my child need to hear right now. They are struggling. There's something going on with them. They are fearful. So move into fear. They're fearful. And so 
I want to address the fear. And you don't want to gauge your success based on your child's reactions. Today just happened to unfold in a really beautiful way, but sometimes it doesn't. And a lot of times we gauge our success based on our child agreeing with us or being happy or changing their mood. That's not how you gauge success. You gauge success when you feel like you showed up in the way that you wanted to. To me, that's success. If I can walk away feeling good about how I showed up for my child in that moment and how present I was in that moment, then that's a win for me. And sometimes showing up in a coddling, over-sympathetic, over-empathetic way where you're trying to fix it and solve it, even though that might feel good, that's not helpful either. And so, so it's finding the sweet spot of how do I empower my child, foster independence, be empathetic, validating, and lovingly detached where my emotions are not muddying the mess. Because it's kind of like if you have, I have the weirdest analogies today, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, let's say you have a pot of blue, you know, it's blue is representing their, just their muddy emotions of, you know, anger or anxiety or whatever it is. And you just put one little drop of red in there. You're meeting their blue emotions with a little bit of anger or irritation or whatever. You put that little drop in a huge bowl of blue. You put that little tiny drop of red and all of a sudden the entire color changes. And now we are not even blue. We're not red. We're purple. And we've muddied the waters. We don't want to add our drop of color in a perfect world. to their emotions. Most of the time we are going to, we are going to drop our own colors into their kaleidoscope of feelings. And we're going to change the, the, the look of it. But when we are able to stay lovingly detached, then they, the blue stays solidly blue and we can work on their issue without adding our stuff. And so let's go back to the example I was talking about, like a child who's just angry about going to school or angry about going to bed. And you know, that under that is maybe fear, then you address the fear directly. Like, I know that it's scary to go to school, or I know that it's hard for you to go to school, or I know that it's a struggle to go to school. I get it. And they might scream, you don't get it, or you don't know, or no, it's not about that, right? That's okay. Because that anger is a great smokescreen for the harder, softer feelings. And so addressing that, and then, you know, discussing their options of what they can do can be helpful. It's not going to go smoothly. And if your child's really aggressive or violent, you know, then we have to make sure that people are safe and we have to contain them. But my purpose of this episode is just to talk about the average big emotion that our kids go through. We're not talking about the extremes in this episode because that's a whole other conversation. And and none of these approaches will work on, on any like really aggressive, violent approaches. You know, that's a separate issue. But even the big emotions that our kids have on a daily basis. Like when we approach that differently, the end result can be different. You know, in that muddiness of my son having self-hate, there was a lesson to be learned of self-compassion. And I had talked to him when we were driving to school and and I said to him, it's okay to have the feeling of self-hate and you recognize it. But then there comes a time where you have to say, okay, I'm done with like, you know, berating myself. And now I have to say, what lesson did I learn from that? And then what can I do differently the next time? 
and the next time. Because there'll be another time where you mess up and there'll be another time that you learn and then there'll be another time that you mess up and there'll be another time you learn. So there was a life lesson that was that was mined out of that darkness and there was a gem to be found. There was some some growth to be had around that. When our kids have fear, it's another learning opportunity to talk directly to the fear. Some of our kids will move into their fear and not just reject that. And that becomes another opportunity to talk about how did we get through that fear? It's okay to be anxious and we still have to do hard things, you know, and you should be so proud of yourself because you have done hard things before. And I know that's scary, but you have done those things. And then you move into the skill building of whatever the skill building is that you are trying to deal with. Or I know that it's scary at night when you go to bed and get very nervous about going to sleep. And that can make you feel very angry. I get it. Right. Um, so what's, you know, you move in the skill building and that's not what this podcast episode is about, but we want to bridge the big emotion with the skill building. And that's really the key is where's the bridge. And so if my child is anxious or fearful, then I want that bridge to build the skills. And the first step is clearing my screen, you know, being present, see if I can find a gap. What's my, what's my teaching moment in this? What's my role in this? And then I'm going to show up for my child to help with that. Now, if they don't want to meet me halfway and listen to my skills or my awesome teachings, that's a them problem, not a me problem. That's not a failure. I just accept that as well. Just like I'm accepting the difficult emotions, the difficult behavior. I'm accepting that you're not hearing this right now. Because I can't tell you how many times I thought my kids were not hearing what I was saying. And then they are parroting it back to me like a year or two later. And so seeds are always a good thing to plant. That's why you can't gauge your success on your child's reactions in the moment. You can gauge your success on how you felt. And that's the important thing. And so we have a role to play. And sometimes that role is to, if they have anxiety, it might be like, what are your red thoughts? What are your green thoughts? But th- those are the skill building things that I use when it's anxiety or just negative thinking. Not I don't use that with OCD, but I feel like I used that with my son this morning because he was saying it's moral OCD, mom, it's moral OCD. Or he was, and he was like, it's social anxiety. I don't know. It was all over the place. And I was like, it's actually you just being really nasty to yourself. I'm like, what are your green thoughts? And he said, I'm a good writer. And maybe I tried to write on at first he didn't want to do this. He's like, there are no green thoughts. And I was like, well, you can choose to sit in your big feelings. Like you can choose to be self-hating. You can choose to, you know, get upset with yourself. I go, that, that will be your choice. That's one of your life lessons that you're learning how to handle. But, or you can say, how, how do I think about this in a different way? I like giving my kids choices. I'll often say like, you can choose to be angry or you can choose to And it's still, you can still choose to be angry, but you can choose to go out and throw some ice, you know, and get your anger out. You know, it's, or you can choose to spit your anger at everybody. We talk about that at my house. Like you're vomiting your anger all over everybody, or you can choose to go to your room and like, you know, pound it out on your drums. That'll be your choice. And when it's bad, they don't have the choice to be verbally aggressive or whatever. You can choose to sit here and scream at us, or you can go play your drums. And if you choose to stay, sit here and scream at us, then I'm going to have to, I move into discipline because that's just who I am. You know, it's not, a, you can, there are other choices besides hurting other people because you're upset, but that's not what this episode is about. <laughs> that's where I go. 
But my goal is I want this place of working through it with them and getting them to realize and getting them to see the other side of things and what what these big emotions can show them. And that can be really helpful. So my son was saying, oh my, eventually he did do it. He was like, well, my green thoughts are I'm a good writer and you know, I'm writing a novel and I should have written a story. And next time I'll remember to just make it smaller and, you know, write the frame. And so he was able to do some of that before he left for school. And so the goal in a perfect world, and I'm sorry, I always say that, but it's to bridge, it's to bridge the big emotion with the skills. And that bridge might be very long. It might be so long. It goes into the next day and that's okay. I know with my kids, when they have really angry emotions, they need space. And I've talked about, I have a class in my online school called Difficult Behavior Caused by Anxiety or OCD. And in that class, I talk about how to identify like what is the core fear or feeling underneath the anger when it's caused by anxiety or OCD and how to create zones, which are like places in your house that are already predetermined and predecided and built by your child for places to go, kind of like a reset zone. So not a timeout or a punitive thing, but these are your zones. And the zones for my kids as they get older are much more abstract almost, like go get some ice and go out into the backyard. That's okay. That's a zone. And we've identified these zones. You know, the beanbag is a zone. Outside with the ice is a zone. You know, your closet with all like your soft blankets and, you know, your pillows, that's a zone. And so asking your kids, where where do you want to go when you're feeling really angry or frustrated? And then putting things in those areas that your kids can use, whether it is noise canceling headphones, or if if you're okay with them listening to like music or their iPad, or you can have like scratch out art, you know, it's, we've seen those like black cards and there's rainbow underneath and you can scratch them. That's really helpful for some kids with anger or some aromatherapy, or some fidgets, whatever, it's going to look different for each kid. But having those places can be really helpful. And when my kids were younger, we had zones. And I would say to them when they were getting frustrated, it's not okay for you to throw those things, or it's not okay for you to yell. I understand that you're angry, and it's very scary to blah, 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 whatever it is. So you can go to one of your zones. And over time, my son would organically, like not authentically, but organically, he would do that himself. I didn't have to say that anymore. He started to like hide under his bed or he'd go to his room or he'd disappear for a little while and he would kind of reset. And the reason why he does that is because when he was younger, we would, I would prompt him, go to your zones. And he didn't go to his zones in a beautiful, easy way. But over time he learned when I'm upset, I need to reset. Now my daughter, and I've mentioned this before, she's a hugger. So a lot of times her going to a zone wasn't really what she needed. A lot of times she, one, she didn't want to go away from me. And so a pop-up tent or something else, like we have a beanbag in the corner of our room. And sometimes when I had a big box, like from UPS or something, or like an appliance was delivered, she would make that into a zone. And so we had this box for quite a long time. Right after my husband died, she made this huge box with a hole in it. It was really weird. And she put some like pillows in it. And whenever she was upset, she would go in the box, which really disturbed me. But it was what she wanted to do. And that was fine. And then my son wanted one. He's like, I, I need one of my boxes. And I can't remember. What, she even called it something weird, like my sad box. Made me really, made me really uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I was like, it was, first of all, I was in my living room. I think she put like a, like a sad face on it. She like 
then she put all these holes in it. But, you know, she was going through the grieving process and she needed some space, but she didn't want to be away from me. And that w- that worked out for her. You know, she was older. She wasn't like three or four. She was like nine at the time, nine and a half. And so that served her for a while. And then I let that box stay there for like a year. And I think it was like six months ago. I was like, I just really, we just need to, you know, let's get rid of the box. She hadn't been going into the box anymore. That was really like a a way for her to grieve and be away, but still be close. So, you know, think out of the box, (laughs) no pun intended, but you know, kind of funny. So whatever they want to create now, we don't have zones anymore. I don't use that language anymore because it just, or just naturally kind of dropped off. A lot of things that we do as parents, like we build skills or we use something. And then, you know, when it's really beautiful, it just, it naturally evolves into like a genuine, just organic thing that you don't have to, it's not orchestrated or contrived. It's like, it just happens naturally. And really with my son, that happens naturally. Now when he's upset, he does not lash out. He's not aggressive. He goes and he kind of regroups. Then he comes back. My daughter, I need to hug her. And she's so prickly when she's upset. But all I have to say is, come here and I'll give you a hug. And she'll be like, now she's getting older. She'll be like, no. And I'm like, come here. Let me give you a hug. She'll be like, no. And then I actually can hug her and she does reset. Um, She'll lean into it. I won't force her to hug me. But so we have to know our kids love language when they're having big emotions. Like, what do they need? Not what you need. There's nothing worse than a parent who's literally chasing down their child because they're not done yet. Don't walk away from me. I'm not done yet. You know, it's like, we have to figure out how do our kids reset, whether regardless of whether that makes us upset or not, or it's not ideal, or it's not what we want. And we have to meet them where they're at. Our kids are the same way, right? Like they will follow us all over the house when they're upset. And that's not okay either. And teaching them to recognize what you need to say, I'm not okay right now. And I need a break. The way that I handle my upsetness or my big feelings is I need to regroup. I need to get some quiet time so I can come back out and talk to you in a calm way. And you're not allowing me to do that. I respect the way that you want to reset. And I want you to respect the way that I want to reset. Having these conversations with our kids can be really, really helpful. And so that can help with the big emotions. I know my son was on VR and I would say, you know, you have 10 more minutes or you need to get off. And he would ignore me. And then I'd get really angry and I would yell like, get off, you know, and, and he'd get upset that he got yelled at. And I would say, you know, all you have to do is mute yourself and say, mom, I hear you. And I'm in the middle of a game. Can I finish this game? It'll be two more minutes. And I would be very rational with you. And I would say, of course, or fine. Thank you for letting me know. And so we had this conversation and then he did it. And then I was like, yes, thank you for hearing me. You know, because one of my triggers with my big emotions is being ignored. And I explained that to him. When you ignore me, I get angry and it's not about you per se. It's just, I don't like to be ignored in general. So having these conversations with our kids in general can really help for them to understand our big emotions, for us to understand their big emotions, and for us to help them walk through their emotions. So uh, I hope that you found this helpful on some level. Try to practice your gaps. You know, I feel like that was like a really helpful thing today was that space and that awareness to like show up in a way that I was not showing up. If you want some extra support on how to help your kids with big emotions caused by anxiety or OCD, a lot of our kids have difficult behavior. And a lot of times what's driving it underneath is an anxiety or OCD issue. And so 
I do have an online course for that. I have lots of online courses. You can go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com and check out all my courses. Um, This one is called Difficult Behavior Caused by Anxiety or OCD. And in this particular class, I have videos for you as the parent, and then I have videos for kids and teens to watch directly. I have one for kids who are younger, and I have one for like teens or tweens. And so it's appropriate for all ages because there's something, there's videos for each age range. And I walk them through and you through. So I teach you how to show up as a parent and handle their difficult behavior, what to say, what to do, what to, how to create a therapeutic home environment to handle the difficult behavior. But then I also teach your kids directly to help you out with the language and how to, how to explain this to them in a way that they can learn some self-regulation as well. So check that out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com and you'll find that in the library of classes that I have there, including classes on how to teach kids to crush anxiety, OCD. I have a kids course on how to teach them to crush OCD. I have a course on how to teach kids to crush social anxiety. Go ahead and check out all those courses at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast. And if you are, don't forget to hit a star or leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. And next time, if I see a new review, there hasn't been one in a few weeks, so I don't have one to read, but I do like to read them as I see them to show my gratitude. So maybe next time I'll be reading your review. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Uh, Find that sparkle even in those dark moments. And that's a beautiful thing. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.